Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to our broadcast of Carefully Examining the Text. C.S. Lewis said about Psalm 119, it is the greatest poem in the Psalter. It's one of the greatest lyric poems in the world. Perhaps more than any other passage in all the Bible, it takes the two ways in which God reveals himself through creation and through the Scripture. And it combines these and praises God for His greatness and for His glory. This psalm proceeds from macrocosm to microcosm. And what I mean from the big picture to the small picture, it begins with the heavens and God's glory as demonstrated through them, and it ends with the individual. It goes from the big picture, the universal picture, to the individual picture of each believer. Psalms 8 and 29 and 104 and 148 all have the same kind of emphasis as verses 1 through 6, praising God for his part in creation. The New Testament focuses on this. As Paul was preaching in Acts 14 in the city of Lystra, he talked about how God has not left himself without witness, but he gave rain in fruitful seasons and filled your hearts with food and gladness. In Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, you see the same kind of emphasis in his preaching at Athens in Acts 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 tells us that the uh, power of God is clearly manifest by the things that are seen so that we are without excuse in ignoring God. Indeed, all these passages talk about God's glory revealed in creation. And as we seek to go over Psalm 19 in this broadcast, let us begin by going to the first six verses. From the New American Standard, for the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, and their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the sun to the other, and its circuit is to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, in the text of Psalm 19, the text begins by saying the heavens are declaring the glory of God. 
The word for God is the Hebrew word El. It was a word that was used often in the ancient Near East, and it was used by other peoples in address to their God. This is the only time the word is used in verses 1 through 6. Beginning at verse 7, the text is going to use the word Lord in all capitals, referring to Yahweh, the name by which the God of Israel reveals himself. But that word is not used in the first six verses. The word El is used, and the Bible tells us the heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Both of these verbs are imperfect, indicating a continual a continual, ceaseless, ongoing witness to God's nature. The heavens are unimaginably, unimaginably vast. Do you know if one could travel the speed of light, which no one has been able to do, you could it would take 100,000 years to go from one end of our galaxy to another and the distance between us and the next galaxy is greater than that and yet God spoke it all into existence if creation is this all inspiring how much more the creator our Lord is so great that he dwarfs creation and there are aspects of creation that lead us to stand in awe. It may be looking at pictures from outer space, from, from groups like NASA. It may be visiting places on earth like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. These events lead us to stand in awe of creation how much more the Creator. All of these things reflect the glory of earth's maker. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And the firmament is showing his handiwork. This word expanse or firmament, which is used here in verse 1 of Psalm 19, is only used 17 times in the Old Testament. Nine of those times are in Genesis chapter 1, where God has the firmament, the expanse, that separates the waters, from, the waters above from the waters below. And so this term used nine times in Genesis 1 is used here. The expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And as we stated, they bear continual testimony to God's glory. In verse 2, day to day pours forth speech and night Tonight reveals knowledge. This is an ongoing witness, a witness that continues, a witness, too, that is, the text says, pouring forth speech. 
And this particular word is sometimes used in the Old Testament, used rarely. But when it's used, it sometimes refers to something that is just overflowing and abounding. Day to day is full of speech. And night to night reveals knowledge about God's glory. And yet this speech, verse 3 tells us, is inaudible. The Bible tells us that uh, there is no speech, nor are there words, and their voice is not heard. Notice how many different terms are used in verse 3 to refer to speech and words, and yet it is stated to say there is no speech, nor words, and their voice is not heard. Their voice is silent. Their voice is inaudible. They speak a language that no one hears because it is silent, and yet it is a language that everyone can understand. In verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. This is a language that wasn't confused at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. It bears universal testimony. Oh, it doesn't have a spoken word, but it speaks a language that all understand and they can see beyond creation to the Creator if they have an ear to hear. How, oh how, can we look at our world and not stand in awe of the God who has made us in the God who has created us all. How can we stand in awe of that? Always the creator is greater than his creation. And there is nothing in this universe that is the explanation for its own existence. In other words, I can look at any human being and I know they had a father and they had a mother Whether I've ever met them or not, I know that story because we are not responsible for our own existence. And yet some think our world is responsible for its own existence. We don't see beyond the world to the creator itself. At the end of verse 4, The Bible begins emphasizing God's mighty hand in creation by calling attention to the sun. Psalm 8 did the same thing by calling attention to the moon and the stars. But here the sun is pictured as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber or a strong man running his race. And uh, just as the sun rises and, 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 and makes circuit throughout the day to cover the whole earth, arising again to bring forth new light on the next day, and there is nothing hidden from its heat, just as the sun is a manifestation of God's glory, we are to stand in awe 
of the one who made it. Often in the ancient Near East, the sun, the moon, the various heavenly bodies were worshipped as gods. You see that in Job 31, verses 24 through 28. And unfortunately, even Israel fell into that practice. Jeremiah 8, verses 2 and 3. And they're strongly warned against it, even from the time of Moses in Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 19. Some worship the sun, moon, and stars. The sun, moon, and stars do not control our destiny in the sense that they are gods, but they reflect the glory of the God who does hold our lives in his hand. And when we look at them, we should stand in awe of him and his greatness In verse 7 through 11, the Bible emphasizes God's special revelation in Scripture. And notice in verses 7 through 9, the text will use a description of God's word, of God's law, of God's instruction. Then it will tell us what that law is and what it does for us. Let me illustrate. In verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. The word for perfect is the word translated blameless. It was translated that way four times in Psalm 18. In verse 23, verse 25, verse 30, and verse 32 of Psalm 18. Here it is the law, it is the Torah, it is the instruction of God that is blameless. And the Bible says it restores our soul. Now that word translated restore can be translated repent. It can be translated to turn. It can be translated restore. It can be translated a variety of ways. The words restore my soul are used together in Psalm 23 and verse 3 when the Bible tells us that the Lord is our shepherd and he restores my soul. So the law of the Lord is perfect. It is blameless. It restores our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making making, uh, wise the simple. The word simple is often used in the book of Proverbs, and it is a word that refers to openness. It is one who is willing to be instructed, and this word can make wise the simple. If you are looking for wisdom and you want to know how to direct your life, let me encourage you to look at the Bible, to look at Scripture. Psalm 119, verses 98 through 100, tells us with wisdom from this book, we will excel in wisdom those around us. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When someone is broken, this word 
can give them hope. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You may remember when uh, the, the Israelites were hungry and weary from chasing the Philistines in battle, and they came to some honey. And Jonathan 8 in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 27, and his eyes were enlightened. So the word can give us light. It can give us strength. It can produce in us power. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. A fear of the Lord is clean, and the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The phrase judgments of the Lord is used as a synonym for God's instruction or God's law 23 times in Psalm 119. The gods of the ancient Near East often changed their mind. The gods of the ancient Near East, it was difficult to know what was pleasing to them. But our God has revealed his word and his way through Scripture. And we won't know what is pleasing to him without his word as a lamp to our feet and as a light to our way. Verse 11, verse 10 states that all this revelation of God is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The most precious commodity in that world was gold, and the word is sweeter, is, is, is more desirable than gold. And the sweetest thing that they had to partake of, to eat of, is honey. And the word is sweeter than honey. If we could desire this word more than the most precious of commodities, if we could make it more desirable than gold, if we could desire this word and crave it more than we would we would honey the most sweet the sweetest food that people had to eat what is sweeter than honey samson asked in judges 14 verse 18 if we could desire it more than money more than the best tasting of foods how much better off our lives would be and in verse 11 by them your servant is warned and in keeping them, there is great reward. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 spoke of God's glory as revealed in creation. Verses 7 through 11 speak of God's glory as revealed in His written revelation in Scripture. In Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14 as he contemplates the glory of God's revelation he then asks who can discern his errors acquit me of hidden sin keep your servant back from presumptuous sins let them not rule over me that I may not be blameless uh, and that I shall be acquitted of the great 
transgression. A couple of comments on this verse. When we think of hidden sins or secret sins, it generally may refer to sins that we seek to hide from others. But look at the first part of this statement. Look at the parallel. Who can discern his errors? Maybe the secret sins and hidden sins in this text are not the sins that we're seeking to hide from others, but the sins that we're unaware of ourselves. And understanding the greatness and the magnitude of God's revelation, the greatness and magnitude of God's revelation as seen in creation and as seen in Scripture fills the writer with humility. And he says, Lord, who can discern his errors? Cleanse me of those things that I can't see. Maybe our habits have become so ingrained we cannot see our own folly. Or maybe the transgressions may seem so minor to us in an area we're not paying careful attention to that we're unaware of our sins. And he begs for forgiveness. And he begs for forgiveness also from presumptuous sins, sins that he commits defiantly. And he begs at the end in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A psalm that begins with the glory of God revealed in all creation ends with a plea that his words and his heart will be right with God. Psalm 19 points us to Jesus. For John 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us that he is creator of all. Colossians 1 15 through 17, Revelation 5 13 reveal the same truth. He is creator of all. He is creator and he is God's special revelation in that he is also described in John 1 verse 1 as the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glorious the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God is creator and God is, Christ is creator and Christ is God's special revelation. He is the Word made flesh. And He opens our eyes. He enlightens our eyes. There's no miracle of Jesus performed more frequently than Jesus giving sight to the blind. He is our rock. He's the stone the builders rejected that's been made the chief cornerstone. Acts 4.11 and 1 Peter 2, 4-8. He is our Redeemer, Ephesians 1.3 and Colossians 1.13 and 14. And His glory is told constantly as people look to the cross. Psalm 19 shows us His glory. God bless you, and we thank you for listening.